millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams and today we're going back to Sunday the 3rd and Monday the 4th of September 1939. That was the 24-hour period in which Australia learned we were going to war with Germany again, not quite 21 years after the guns of the Great War had fallen silent. Sunday the 3rd of September 1939 was Father's Day. It was also the third day of spring. But while dads might have been enjoying an extra serving of Sunday lunch and a cool beer in the warmer weather, tension hung heavy over Australia and the rest of the world. Adolf Hitler's Nazi war machine had invaded Poland on the first of the month and England's Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain had issued a deadline by which to withdraw or face war. At Sunday evening church services, Australia's religious leaders led congregations in prayers for peace as that zero hour drew nearer. Across the country, people hung on every word of BBC wireless updates relayed live from London. Was the Fuhrer going to blink? Would Neville Chamberlain? At 8.15 that night, Eastern Standard Time, the British Prime Minister delivered the grave news in a broadcast from Number 10 Downing Street. Adolf Hitler had not complied, and so Great Britain was at war with Germany. Australian newspaper editorial rooms went into a frenzy of activity and special editions rolled off the presses within the hour. Sydney's Daily Telegraph front page screamer was Special Extra, Britain and France act on ultimatum. We are at war with Germany. The Sydney Morning Herald's first special edition also only contained that initial news out of London. The next development at 8.45 that night that is, Prime Minister Robert Menzies giving a radio address to declare Australia was also at war, had to wait for supplementary editions printed later that night. As Australian civilians tried to bed down on Sunday evening, many Australian servicemen were up and on alert. Coastal fortifications had been manned over the weekend because war seemed imminent and it was known that four German merchant ships and one Italian vessel were in Australian waters. With the declaration of war, they were now the enemy. Men stationed at Fort Nepean, guarding the heads of Port Phillip Bay in Melbourne, were about to have a deja vu moment. A quarter of a century earlier, mere hours after the Great War had been declared, the German steamer Faltz had tried to leave Port Phillip Bay. A gun crew at Fort Nepean's battery had tried to dissuade it by firing a 100-pound shell. The captain of the Faults had taken the hint, and he and his crew were captured and interned. That Port Nepean shell had been the first shot fired at the enemy by any British Allied forces in the Great War. Now, at 1.50am on the 4th of September 1939, less than six hours after Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain's declaration of war, a ship was detected coming in to Port Phillip Bay. When the vessel didn't acknowledge a recognition signal, the crew that was manning the very same gun that had been used in the 1914 incident was ordered to fire. The Melbourne Herald ran a little item later that day. Headline, 
first shot at heads. Quote, Australia's first shot in the war was fired from a fort at the heads at 1.50am today. The article described the captain's failure to properly identify, quote, Immediately, there was a flood of searchlight and a gun roared. Seamen on duty heard a shell plop in the water close by. The ship was hove to. Australia's police and military officials were also busy overnight. In Sydney, the detention and internment of 300 Germans was already underway. The Melbourne Herald would report, quote, There were many sad scenes as parents were separated from their families. The article continued, Police and private cars were used to transport the internees. Among those interned were the proprietor of a William Street ham and beef shop, who was a leading Sydney Nazi. His shop window was shattered yesterday by a stone. Yet, diplomatic agreements meant that other Nazis, that was, Hitler's consuls, were given safe passage out of Australia. Australian newspapers reported that Australians had taken the war news calmly on Sunday night, and this continued on Monday morning as people went to work. Melbourne's Herald said, quote, Melbourne met its first day of war today in different spirits from that of August 1914. Not one flag was seen aloft in a city tour today. Not one patriotic sign save an old, out-of-date militia poster. But the newspapers reported very different scenes in London, where there had been cheering and laughter in the streets upon the outbreak of war, partly out of relief that, for better or worse, the tension had been broken. Other overnight news was far grimmer. The Germans were only 50 miles from Warsaw, and massive air raids had killed 1,500 Poles, most of them civilians. Closer to home, those five enemy ships were still unaccounted for, though it was assumed they were now speeding to neutral ports. Speaking of neutrality, Japan and the United States had both declared they were staying out of the war, so that was a good thing at least. On that Monday, with Mr Menzies having announced that army recruitment wasn't yet being increased, thousands of men tried to enrol in the recently established AIF Reserve. By far the biggest crowd was at the Victoria Barracks in Paddington, Sydney. There, hordes of chaps, some just turned 18, others middle-aged Boer War veterans, rubbed shoulders as they rubbed their hands in anticipation at the prospect of taking the fight to the Germans again. Australians wanted to take the war to the enemy, but there was also the possibility it had worked the other way. Melbourne's Herald ran the basics of the air raid warning sounds. The first signal was a series of alternating short and long blasts. This meant, get ready. The second signal for air raid pending was short blasts of five seconds every two seconds. The third signal was a continuous two minute blast, and this meant all clear. If you really wanted to know what living through such a scenario might be like, you only had to head to Sydney's The State Theatre. There, you could see The Warning, a 30-minute air raids precaution film endorsed by the British government, which depicted annihilation from above. The newspaper ad read, quote, What to do if your country is bombed? Special film. You must see it at the state now. By Monday afternoon, Australia's newspapers had more specifics of the most recent war actions. The biggest was the sinking of the British liner Athenia, taken out by a German torpedo 200 miles off Scotland. There were 1,400 people aboard, and 114 would die. None of them were military personnel. The survivors by then were on their way to Glasgow, where they were to be comforted by the son of the US ambassador to England, 
22-year-old John F. Kennedy doing his first official duty on behalf of the American government. That day, there'd also been an air battle over the Netherlands, violating Dutch neutrality, though, in better news, the French stood ready to repel any German invasion along the Maginot Line. These afternoon and evening newspapers also carried a radiogram picture of King George VI. Having learned to manage his speech impediment thanks to the help of Australian therapist Lionel Logue, the King gave one of his most important ever radio addresses to the Empire. With God's help, he said, we shall prevail. Australian newspaper editorials backed the King, the Empire and Australia's commitment. The Sydney Morning Herald's editorial was headlined, A War for Survival and Freedom. Part of it read, quote, In this dark and solemn hour, the peoples of the empire can have no regrets for the past and no illusions concerning the nature of the struggle that lies before them. They are well enough aware of the strength and savagery of the system by which they are opposed. They cannot doubt that the war may well be long and will certainly be bitter. What's fascinating, reading these words, feeling their immediacy, even though they're now suspended in amber, is knowing just how long and bitter that struggle was going to be. Knowing that points on the world map, then mostly unknown, Dunkirk, Pearl Harbor, Kokoda, Auschwitz, Hiroshima, and so many more, would become engraved in history due to the horrors that were to happen in those places. The Sydney Sun's editorial was pragmatic, quote, we must also go about our daily jobs. We help the empire best by refusing to knock off work and let our enterprises wither through lack of optimism. The Melbourne Herald echoed this theme and that British war preparedness poster from a few months earlier that had read, Keep calm and carry on. The Herald's editorial headline read, Carry on with stout hearts and cool heads. Quote, So it has come at last, the war of which we have all been thinking. We heard the news last night on our radio sets. We read it in our newspapers. We have had a night to think about it. It continued, To all those who are thinking today, what can I do? What should I do? There is one answer. Carry on. Each of us who today goes his normal way and does his normal task is serving in the best possible manner. Not only the morale and vital interests of his country, but the cause of liberty and justice for which we fight. Amid such level-headed pragmatism, though, there was also patriotism spilling into jingoism. Sydney's The Sun ran a column called Window on the World, which comprised little words of supposed wisdom the writer had come up with or heard from other people. That day's offerings included The will to power is German, but the will to win is British. And On the first day of war, there was community singing. On the last day of war, our community will still sing. So far, so benign and even reasonable. Yet the most blithe of these little pearls of wisdom is now the most haunting, given that hundreds of thousands of Australian kids would see their dads killed or wounded in the coming years. It read, Yesterday was Father's Day. His biggest gift was a war. Father can take it. I'm Michael Adams and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia.
This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.